a new episode of Turn Talk, part of the Making the Turn podcast. This is the 2020 Masters Recap. Welcome to the show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the another episode of the Making the Turn podcast. I'm your host, BJ Parker, and I appreciate you joining me. And uh, I'm uh, going to do something a little different today. I'm sitting in with a past guest on the show and a friend of mine, Virgil Herring. How you doing, buddy? I'm wonderful, BJ. How are you doing, buddy? I'm good. I uh, thought we'd, uh, I reached out to you in, uh, in this weird time we're in, and I love doing these podcasts with you, and we had a lot of fun doing them. I thought we'd do a little master's recap, and then uh, whatever other tidbits are out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Did you get a chance to watch some of the tournament? I, I got a chance to watch a lot of it. Yeah. Um, and this year, it kind of bothered me a little bit, because it's the, it's probably a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that it would fall on my birthday. Yeah. So I was really hoping to go. Yeah. But obviously, there's no patron, so it is what it is. Um, I got a couple of questions I want to talk to you about the grass and the yeah. I'd, lo- the, I'd love the, to get into that. Uh, I, th- I really think that that's imp- that important piece to the story. Yep. This year. Yep. Uh, obviously, Dustin Johnson has now proven that I and I've all, I've often thought that it's a tough call between he and Rory when they're both clicking. Yeah. They play at a different gear than everybody else. Right. But I've now watched him three or four times now with Rory playing pretty good. Yeah. He can boat race him. You know, and, you know, he doesn't have a weakness right now. He is putting great. His wedge play, he used to be terrible. Now he's probably in the top 20%. Yeah. And, you know, 85% of his fairways, 84% of his fairways at 330. Right. You put one of the you know, one of the best ball strikers in the world that far down in the middle of the fairway basically all day, and you gave him a good putting week. Yeah. It's like watching – it's a less dominant version of Tiger. When it's – when he is on, buddy, it's like oh, he won in Boston at the first FedEx Cup event by 11, shot yeah. 30 under. Then he got – you know, he had a, that one really bad stretch where he shot 80-80 at the Memorial. And then ever since then, he hasn't finished worse than sixth. How you doing? He he. I've 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 said this several times. When I was uh, helping, I've helped the last couple of years at the FedEx down in um, the World Golf Championship down in Memphis. Uh-huh. And I I get the opportunity because I'm usually there during the week where they're warming up and they're they're practicing, and I get an opportunity to just be real close to the people on the range because yeah. there's not a lot of fans. And this year, this past year, there was no fans. And he's one that I gravitate to, and I watch him hit balls, and I'm and I'm mesmerized by the the ability to uh, just watch him hit ball after ball never leave the flag stick never bounce within a foot difference and and i'm just going like what's he working on how does this guy just not win every week and i know that all of them are a lot like that but he's just it's just on just stripe after stripe after stripe and it's just amazing to see I, i he is he's worthy of the number one player in the world in my opinion yeah and he's and he looked like it uh, he just had everything all uh, clicking. Yeah, and I think there's a lot to see. You know, I think that, you know, he he has had a bunch of close calls yeah. at Augusta, so is Rory. And I think Rory is probably going to spend a little bit of time watching how he overcame the monkey 
on his back. You yeah. know, McElroy is now leaning toward having the Greg Norman monkey on his Augusta National back, so he to is. speak. Yeah. Because it's the last thing for his uh, the career Grand Slam. He gave one away in 2011 sure with did. really just an epic collapse starting on. Probably it was a whole day struggle, but it really fell apart on 10. Yep. Um, but I think that, you know, DJ has long underachieved in the majors. Now he's got two. It's kind of hard to believe. Like McElroy has got four, but he hasn't won one since 2014 at the Valhalla. Yeah. And they're talking about these two guys are – and Justin Thomas, in my opinion, have the most game all the time. Kepka seems to be able to turn the volume up in majors, but he's not really a factor in any non-major. He's a heck of a player. And then you got you got these next level like John Rahm. Can't like he doesn't seem to have an emo- the emotional capabilities of handling disappointment in major championships yet. Although he, I think he's got sick game. Yeah, uh, he just you know. That that one that one hole on Saturday unplugged him for the rest of the tournament. Basically, a heel top, <laughs> you know, on and then follow that up with a shot that ricochets off a tree and goes into the into the shrubs for an unplayable line. Makes a double on yeah. a certain birdie hole for him. Never really recovered. But the game of golf is really sitting in a really great spot right now because there's so many super young players. And Tiger still demonstrates that when focused and readily oiled up, so to speak, yeah. he can still play. And he's not the Tiger that we remember in 2000 to 2009, but you know, he won the Masters last year. He's won three times in the last two years. He's a, Do you think that long day hurt him with the with – the, I just, don't think so. Not this time. No. No, because he, he looked fine every day. He didn't look like there was any back pain. The only pain he had was number 12. Yeah. A little 10 never hurt anybody. No, that that doesn't hurt. I guess they said if he made par there, he would have finished around the top five, something like that. Yeah, so he finished at plus one, and that was a seven over. So he'd have been at six under. So he probably finished like 13th. Yeah. Because Rory finished fifth at 11 under. And uh, Kepka was at 10 with Fleetwood and a couple other guys. So I think probably been like 15th. Yeah. But still – what did he go? Five out of the last six holes. He birdie. Birdied five out of the last six. I think about it. He made a ten on one <laughs> hole, and then he made a ten on the last two. I heard. Holes. I heard a stat. I don't know if you knew this or not. They said um, that uh, that's the first double digit score he's had in as, as a, a professional. professional. Yeah, isn't that crazy? That is unbelievable. I mean, you'd think at some point in some tournament he'd have at least a ten. And you'd think that if there's a hole that he might have a ten, that'd be number twelve at Augusta. It Nashville. was ugly though. That's a good ten. <laughs> that was a really good ten. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to give him credit. He said, I just played the wind wrong, hit it in the water, and then hit it in the water again. And <laughs> But I can't believe that, that second wedge shot that he hit went, you know, the, like after the drop. Yeah. The third shot spun back in the water. It hit about eight. It landed in the front middle of the green yeah, and spun just, off the green. Yeah. I don't know what that was. Man, that, was a, that was shocking. And then yeah. it, from there it had an eerie sensation of Jordan Spieth yeah. in 2016. Or just the, the score just kept piling on and piling on. Yeah, he didn't quite get the Tom Weisskopf's twelve, but he was he was gaining on it. Boy, it was it was fun to see him on the uh, play so well the first day. I wish he could have kept it up. I it was uh, sort of weird and eerie to see some of the similarities between him and Jack. Oh my goodness! And and, no, no. and how that was all lining up. I know that's all thought, you know banter and stuff a lot of times, but sometimes it 
place to fruition. Yeah. <laughs> well, certainly anytime you, you look at Tiger and Jack are so, like, hand in hand, like every time Jack said it was his last major, yeah. Tiger won it. Yeah. Last Open Championship, he won it. Last Masters, he won it. Last U.S. Open, he won it. You know, he's just everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. And the Open Championship at St. Andrews was his last one, and Tiger won that. Yeah. So, at the end of the day, they're inexplicably linked across major championship glory. I just don't know if he's going to get there. I'd like to see him. Uh, I mean, if he does, he's going to have to win. All of them at Augusta. He's going to, well, yeah, that or St. Andrews. It'll have to just kind of be St. Andrews. I mean, I just don't see how he does it well at any Open or PGA anymore. Because he doesn't drive it good enough. No. I think that's the thing I got. And I thought year. he I thought he hit the ball well this week. Yeah, it's just, you know, that he doesn't have all the, all the things clicking anymore. Yeah. And he just didn't make the putts that he needed to make. And any time he needed a little bit of momentum, he hit two good shots and missed the putt and make a par. Yeah. And DJ make a birdie, and yeah. after twenty of those, you kind of just feel like a little disheartened. I mean, he didn't what he didn't birdie number two until the last day. I mean, it's just some of those, and then indeed, you know, guys like DJ are hitting driver nine iron, eight iron into yeah. it or whatever. It's crazy. It is really crazy. You know, he had two eagles in that hole. Yeah, two eagles are birdieing a par, a good par. That was that was the sign I was thinking, Benny. This is he hit that flop shot in the bunker yeah. on two on Sunday. I'm like, oof. You've, now you've played there. What's that second shot like into that green? Because I've I've walked it and I know it's severely downhill. Yeah. So but, I mean, you see, you know, they're they're not hitting. I mean, no, there's no flat lines everywhere out there. No. But what's that shot like? Well, it's not as severe as ten, but it's pretty severe. Yeah. So I played it in November, November fifth and sixth, two thousand five. Yeah. And what do I remember the most about that shot? I had two good drives the two days I played it. And so I had two iron after like 240 off a pretty severe downhill lie and hit that right in the front of that little front tongue up on the front of the green. Yeah. And the pin was middle, the middle back the first day. Chipped it up like a foot, tapped that in for birdie. The second day, I was a little bit, it was a little more downwind. There was a north wind. So my tee shot was kind of down and left, and my second shot was straight down. And I hit four iron into the bunker on the right, and then, and that was the classic Sunday pin, yeah. far right side, and flipped it out there to like a foot and made a birdie. The shots that to me that were befuddling, and uh, that's why I wanted to talk. Cause most I don't think most people understand like the the difference between the ryegrass in November and the ryegrass in April. Yeah. Um, but I, they were hitting shots that they would never be able to hit in April, like that back pin on nine coming in from the the left side of the fairway. And they're just like sticking it with a nine iron and an eight iron. That never happens. That is such an awkward shot. Yeah. To be on the left side of that fairway it to that back. It seemed like pin. that some of the like I agree with you. Some of the like that hole, they just didn't have as much trouble on some of the holes that are typically yeah. what I would call trouble holes, mm-hmm. like they normally would. Yeah. And I know that, and we can get into that about you know grass was a lot different. Yeah. You know the little lot of Bermuda still hanging around. Yeah, you know, even with the preparation that they go through, and I don't, I don't speak to know exactly what they go through, but it's, a, I'm sure they do a lot of disruption. There's that Bermuda's still clicking in November, and still is around here. Yeah, you know, it's a lot different now than say in April. Yeah, for sure. So, like, that's one of the things I'm, I want people to understand is like, twenty under par, that is largely DJ deserving massive props, but there is also a level of 
inflation to the score, so to speak, because of really no rollout. And it was bizarre because the greens were super fast, but they weren't very firm. And it just, and obviously it rained a lot on Wednesday, but they have sub air. Yeah. And they didn't, they couldn't get them firm. What's the difference? Like, because what most people don't know is they just overseeded it in September, so it's like six weeks old yeah. that ryegrass, maybe eight weeks at the most, eight weeks, eight weeks old. It looked like f- very new ryegrass. Yeah. And so it there was not a lot of rollout in the fairways. It's sticky. It's sticky. very sticky. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, they were just taking dead aim with long irons and middle irons, and the ball's just not releasing. Yeah. What is the difference between early? overseed grass and what it would look like in April? Well, the the biggest difference is, is the majority of it's ryegrass in April. It's not, you don't have that. It's a, it's more firm. Uh-huh. You, you can play it with a more firm base. You don't have that Bermuda grass resistance that you mm. do right now. Got it. And so, you know, their lives were probably a little bit more predictable this time of year. A um, little bit, you know, probably could hit the ball a little bit with a little bit more spin uh the ryegrass just wasn't you know it's just it's just sticky and lush yeah uh you could i mean that's the first time i've ever noticed the roughs being i mean that ryegrass was was probably two two three inches maybe yeah but they weren't it wasn't doesn't really offer much resistance it's just thick wispy ryegrass you know uh they didn't seem to have much trouble stopping the ball uh and then you know the obvious the bent in this time of year is a lot different than in April. I mean, mm-hmm. it's come through the summer heat and, you know, probably a lot of cultural practices roots have died back a little bit. Now they're having to, you know, get, you know, some depth to them. Yeah. Not as, not as tough. So the firmness of the greens, they can't push them as much. You, you risk, uh, you know, some injury, some long-term injury. Oh, wow. So, um, as opposed to, you know, April where you're coming through pretty decent winter and, and I'm assuming they're, uh, you know, uh, they don't have as harsh a winter down there, but it can be. It can be um, that you know you, you've got a little bit stronger uh, root zone material, mm-hmm. and 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 you're ready to roll. Um, you know, as far as firmness and things like that. So the course itself probably couldn't have played any easier. Um, I mean, I know that I think 65 was the low. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that was the lowest round, which is a little shocking, given how. You know, they were making birdies left to right. But I think they defended a little bit of that by some, you know, uh, the rough being a little bit taller and, and uh, the green speeds being a little tricky yeah. at times. Because it seemed like they, they got they, faster. They got faster. Day. And that, you know, and, and, you know, and those, you know, for anybody that's seen that course, those greens are just, that's the defense a lot of times. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're not nearly as big as people, as the TV makes them look. Yeah. They are really not very big at all. Yeah. And for as much slope as they have on them, that's like the, the thing that people want to, if you want to keep on, you keep hearing about how difficult the green surfaces are and how undulated they are. Yeah. But the reason why it's so profound is because they're so small and so slopey. Yeah. So then it just doesn't seem like there's a flat spot anywhere. Right. And for people that aren't used to seeing that kind of slope, it's so visually intimidating that it freaks people out. Yeah. And then, yeah, just like anything else, you play enough, you just kind of get over it. You know where to be, and you know how to get around it. And that's why, you know, Mickelson and Tiger, heck, going into this Saturday's round, 500 par, both of them, kind of right in the mix. Yeah. Because they were only down by four going into going into Saturday. 
and obviously it didn't work out, but those two guys will be able to kind of cling to, you know, you know, reasonable finishes at Augusta because they hit it far enough and they have so much knowledge. Yeah. I think that's going to be the, the key, um, you know, for those guys, if they're going to win another one or two, is it's going to be based on their knowledge. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't see a whole lot of the changes that are happening. I mean, I know they tweak things year after year, but they just know how to work it around there and get around there. Mm-hmm. And, if, and like Tiger, you know, he got in trouble on, on 12 on Sunday. But, I mean, for the most part, I mean, he if he – he could shoot 68 for four straight days right now. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he could do it. So, you know, given the weather and, and certain other factors, I mean, you could think he could conceivably in the next couple of years at least maybe sneak out another one. Yeah. If, I just don't see 18 or I 19. Either. I don't either. I just think it's because it's, it's got to come every year at Augusta or, like you said, at St. Andrews or someplace where it's the demand on driving's not as much. Yeah. And he can – and he's still – I mean, his iron play is still pretty solid. You could argue if he could make, if you can make a putt or two, yeah, he's one of the best. He's one of the five best iron players of all time. I think that he's the greatest of all time. Yeah. But without ever seeing Hogan, Mo Norman, or George Knudsen, it's hard for me to really be absolutely sure. And I think Trevino's in that group too. Now, I did get a chance to spend some time with Trevino for about two hours in uh, 2001 when he was here for the Super Seniors event. Yeah, played at Presidents Reserve. Um. And that was amazing. Never misses a shot. He's a clicker. He yeah. doesn't. He doesn't take much of a divot. It's just all you hear is click. You don't hear like the big huge divot or anything. He's yeah. pretty special for yeah. sure. What do you? How much importance? You know, you talked about just, uh, Dustin driving the ball like eighty five percent. What do you? I mean, I saw a stat somewhere in the middle of the third round. He hit a hundred percent of his fairways. Now I know yeah, he did miss one on Saturday. I mean, that's just. I mean, even at Augusta, that's pretty good. But I mean. That's just, what. How much importance do you put on on that, as far as how he how well he did? Well, I think it all starts. Because I mean, we obviously know Bryson was all over the map. Yeah, he it was. That was a dumpster fire. I mean, it it. And if he's going to take that methodology, there it, that's what you're going to see. You're either going to see him win in profound fashion, or just be a collapse. He has the he has the mindset and the game plan to pull this off at Augusta National and really boat race it. I mean, did you see some of the lines he took successfully? He hit it so far over the trees on 13. I, I, he had 128. That was ridiculous. And the tee shot, I mean, the second shot he hit on, his tee shot and second shot he hit on two were absurd. Like the line that he took on two, he hits it like 50 feet in the air higher than the second highest guy. So he's hitting like 175 feet in the air, which is really humbling. So he takes it up over these trees, and people are like, oh, four left. Oh, no, no, it just landed in the left side of the fairway. He's got nine iron in yeah. from 170. It's like 365 carry. And he goes in and plops and kind of stops, which I was like, in April, he's it there, he's got 95 yards in. Yeah, if any, if it, there's any role, I mean, he, he's way, he's, yeah. <laughs> he's but, I mean, but he, like, the thing is, the thing that separates Bryson from, a, from DJ or when Rory's, short game is better than his average is that Bryson's not nearly as good around the greens as the as DJ is or Rory and when we're all going to care you know compare nobody like Tiger was for a window of time he was the best driver the best iron player the best pitcher the best chipper the best bunker player the best putter he's just freaking unbelievable yeah so the, the Bryson has a lot 
to gain around the green. He is, in my opinion, he's average. He's not special, not elite. He's just average for his talent level, which is very good. He's just an average wedge player and putter, and he relies heavily on those green reading books to uh, putt well. And obviously, Augusta National won't let you use those. Yeah. And he struggles with around the green there. That's going to be his bigger challenge. Is he's he's so factual and fact oriented. He wants to know the exact slope so he can aim point it perfect for his putting. At some point, he'll either get good enough that he won't need the book. Yeah. Or. It'll be something he'll have to get better at because I think they'll outlaw it here pretty soon. Everywhere, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, you know, when you when you hit it as far as DJ, Rory, you know, John Rahm, all the all the great players bomb it. When you drive it that efficiently, that well in the fairway, and you have that many short irons in, even if DJ has a less than stellar short iron week. He still probably wins. He just doesn't win by five. Right. You know, because the, the thing that most people don't know is that the tour players, the best wedge player from the fairway and the worst wedge player from the fairway is separated by like five feet. That's really, you don't gain strokes on the PGA Tour because you're a great wedge player. Yeah. You gain strokes when, where people, where you separate yourself. So, like the driver, when you can hit it 25 yards longer than the average. Every tee shot you hit puts you within one one standard deviation of proximity to the hole. So that gives you probably three more birdie putts a day times four. Well, you got that's twelve more opportunities and you give these guys that that's two yeah. two or three shots. And then when he's hitting it good, well now he's just pounding on you. Yeah. You know, and that's what, what you saw. And I, I believe that DJ has the game to run away, and he did run away, and it doesn't look like there's any signs that he's not going to do it again. Yeah. I'll tell you what I and, – and get your thoughts on it. I, he had like a tiger moment for me on Sunday, and he was rough start through five. He was kind of one – I think he had a one-shot lead, and he hits that ball in on six. Yeah, After watching them guys kind of – and he hits it in there like five feet and then makes it. I'm like – this dude is yeah. serious. That was the victory shot. Right I think there. it was to me. And, 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 you know, people will go back and look and, you know, they might not pick up on that like you or I would. But I was just like, this is this is what Tiger would do is he would zone in on one shot and he'd hit it, he'd make the putt and, and sort of say, I'm here yeah. for the rest of the day. Yeah. You know, and things haven't gone the way he, you know, might have wanted it to the first few holes and looked like he locked in and I think that's where he won it. Yeah, I, mean, I was sitting there thinking, and I wasn't thinking that Cameron Smith was going to be the kind of player that was going to put the pressure on. But he played awesome. Yeah, yeah. All the all all credit goes to Cameron because he played very very good. But that was a statement. That was the statement shot. Now, it would have been really interesting because there were no fans. Nobody else felt that great shot. Yeah, you know. But it had been interesting how DJ would have responded to the roars of Cameron Smith cutting it to one. By the time he got to the six T, that I don't know how much of a difference that have made. Yeah, because I think that he he does have the ability to be somewhat affected by the the crowd. I know he was at Beth Page Black a little bit. Uh, so at the end of the day, we'll never know. But I thought that for sure, like you said, that was the moment. 
where if anybody was able to follow along, that was the that was when he put his foot down. Yeah. And said, "This is mine." Because until then, it was kind of wide open. At that point, yeah. Even McElroy had cut it to like four, and was looking really good. He obviously played really good. The shot that killed him was a second shot on ten. When he almost hit it on the like eighteen T, hit it so far right. Never seen anybody. Up that there. was a terrible golf shot. I think there may have been mud on that ball. Yeah, uh, is my there was a lot of complaining about that. Yeah, I heard a you know just because you could hear with no crowds and the mics being so close, they a lot of people saying you know which, mud that's what what you get this time of year. Yeah, and especially when they had the rain and everything. You know, there's a lot of preparation that went into getting that course ready. It's just mm -hmm. muddy. It was just muddy. It's just yeah. the way it is. I think that. Um, it's going to be interesting to see where Dustin Johnson goes because, you know, he has the ability to run away, and he also has the ability to just like disappear. I would, I would, I would get your opinion on that because you know Tiger was a different breed. He's kind of that Jordan, you know, just I want to win, I want to win all the time. You know, my my goal is X, and I'm going for it. Mm -hmm. I wonder nowadays with these guys. If they win one or twice, I mean, you've seen Jordan Spieth disappear. You know, guy thought he was going to win every one of them. It yeah. looked like he was unstoppable. Yeah. You know, and maybe his game. And you can probably speak to more of that. But I'm just wondering how motivated these guys get. They make tons of money. Mm -hmm. They got a lot of other things going on. Do they ever? Do we ever see that that run of eight, ten majors in a row by somebody like that? Well, I, I would say, and he might be the guy that does it. I thought Rory was the guy. Rory yeah. should be. You yeah, know. he just doesn't putt well enough. Like, you think about it. There's not really a great major champion that's not a great putter. Yeah. And Rory's not a great putter. He's my favorite golfer to watch. I love it. But, you know, Kepka's more of a dangerous pick than McElroy's because Kepka makes a ton of putts when it matters. Yeah. And so does John Rahm. I'm, I'm, like, I'm fascinated to see, like, JT and Rahm and Kepka are the three best bomber putters. Now, DJ putted unbelievable the last six weeks, our last six tournaments. I thought he didn't – I can't remember a putt he didn't need that he didn't make. Yeah, he didn't. I mean, well, certainly. It was uh, unbelievable. And starting at Boston, really, when when he shot 30 under there, like he got on he got on something. Now, he's uh, – my under, I didn't know this. He's been uh, he's been working on his putting with Greg Norman. That's interesting. And not many people realize, man, Greg Norman was an unbelievable putter. Yeah, he was. He was just gets widely recognized for being probably the greatest driver of the golf ball ever. And he was a really good iron player, too. Just a, almost like a star-crossed <laughs> player in some ways. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested to see if DJ can keep going. Because he has this, he has a little bit of a dark cloud over him a little bit from some of his past, his youth. Yeah. And how much is he going to be distracted by the fun that he likes to have? Or is he, has he had all the fun that he needs to have and now he's, really settled into his 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 sweet spot in his professional career. Although late, you know, he's in, in such an incredible physical specimen. He's in his mid to late 30s right now, but he doesn't look like it. No. And he's he doesn't put any strain on his body because he's swinging at like 70% effort because he doesn't. It does look effortless. Yeah, because he doesn't want to hit. He doesn't want to hit it so far that he has all these huge gaps in between his clubs. I mean, if he if he was doing what what Bryson was doing, he's trying to hit it 400 yards. Well, now you'd start to see 22 and 24-yard gaps between irons. These guys can't compete with that much gapping because it's never a full shot. You're always taking something off. Yeah. 
It's different when there's maybe a 12 or 14 yard gap, but a 22 to 26 yard gap. It's a lot of movement. Yeah, it's a lot of movement. I just don't know if that thing with with Bryson's gonna. I, I don't know. I, I it's almost irritating to watch, to me. When well, he's kind of an irritating personality. Yeah, it's weird because sometimes he's when when he's telling you a message when he's succeeding. It's very interesting to see what goes through his head, but when he's losing. The same guy talking sounds like he's making excuses. I don't really think that's the case. He just comes across as if he's having an image issue. Yeah. Like, I think that he's pretty much consistent with what goes on in his head and what comes out of his mouth. But it sounds really intriguing when he wins, and it sounds really arrogant or off-putting yeah. when he doesn't win. Yeah. Uh, I think that for him to hit it as long as he's hitting it and as straight as he does – that's unbelievable. Yeah, and that that's where it'll kind of fool you because he, he does hit it so straight yeah. to be hitting it so far like that. I mean, I know the one ball he duck hooked on three basically and lost it. Yeah. That kind of derailed any – I mean, that's kind of where I think – That's where it ended of, for him. I think where it kind of ended. But, I mean, when you ever see a ball lost right there? and I mean, it just disappeared. Yeah. They probably could still be looking for it. But they found it one minute later. Oh, did they? Uh-huh. In the fairway. In the edge of the fairway. Unbelievable. They just weren't looking in the right spot. Well, that's what they kept saying on TV. They're not in the right spot. They're not in the right spot. Yeah. But one but, minute after it was too late, like at the four-minute four mark, they found it. He was already back at the tee. Hmm. Talk about a kick. I didn't the, hear that. Kick in the teeth. Yeah. That's a harsh one. Especially when they've changed the rule from five to three. Three. And I think that he's, you know, I think he wasn't feeling good. Whether that's an excuse or not is one thing. I think that he just wasn't feeling good and his head wasn't in it. Like if he he strikes me as a player, when his head's not in it, he's off the the radar screen. That's the difference between he and Tiger. Yeah. Tiger would have bad weeks and you wouldn't even know it was a bad week unless you talked with him or you had to be in the same house. Yeah. He just had a different willpower. But once again – if Bryson gets a short game that is any kind of good as Tiger, that's over. Because he does drive it way good. He drove it good enough this past week to to do something. He putted it and his approach shot were terrible. Yeah, he had so many bad approach shots. What's the uh, what's your thoughts on this whole driver link thing? What what's going on there? Just trying to get more distance, even more distance, or yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen. In some ways, I'm kind of glad that he didn't win the Masters because I really think that if his game plan had worked, uh, I, I think that he would have um, – the Masters would have changed it so that they had to play a Masters ball. Because if he if he goes out there and does and is successful hitting driver like 90 yards left of the trees on 13 and hit it up there and have a gap wedge or a lob wedge in – I think he had sand wedge actually – 128-yard sand wedge, second shot on 13 – and then hits driver nine iron and carries all the trees on the left over there on two. He does that successfully and wins. If he'd have been the guy that won by 20 with the game plan that he put out, I think the, I think Augusta National would have made it so that they had to play a master's ball in April. Huh. Because I think the game is getting to the point now. I, I don't think there's nobody in the world that's playing golf that's complaining because they're hitting it too far. So the idea that they're going to be changing the golf ball and the driver 
is literally the worst possible idea for 99% of all golfers. But at the highest end, do you want to watch them play the Masters where there's a guy hitting lob wedge into second shot on every par five? Do you want to see somebody hit driver over all the trees and hit just a little pitch into a, a par four that's 497 yards long? Is that what you want? I don't know that's what, that's what we want. But, I mean, do you want to play Pebble Beach? And if somebody has a great driving week, shoots 18 under par and wins a U.S. Open by 15 shots, more than Tiger? I don't know if that's what the game wants. And I don't know if we go bifurcate, but I really still, I'm still in the assumption that if we reduce the driver size to 325 cc's, and if they want to do one more thing, either reduce the amount of clubs in your bag to 12 instead of 14, or make it so that the highest lofted club you can have in your bag is 58, to increase the level of skill. Yeah. I mean, if we increase the level of skill, once again, I don't have a problem with the ball. If the whole head of the driver is in a sweet spot. <laughs> I mean, I drive the golf ball now literally so much better than I did when I was so much better yeah. than I am today. It is laughable. I mean, I just set up right now. I mean, I, I still hit it probably 320, 325. I just tee up on the left side of every tee box, aim down the right center of every fairway, and swing about as hard as I can and hit a fade. And I just... I've had the greatest year since probably, if not 2096, for playing for me. I had to have 20 under par rounds this year, which is not normal for me. And it is all, I shot 70 and 70, two days in a row at the golf club, and I missed one fairway. I missed one fairway? That's like what DJ did. Yeah. Right? If I drive it that long and that straight all the time, you just can't. No, here's the thing. I'm nowhere near as good as DJ. Duh. But, I mean, there's the show. You like it, what, why, when you answer your question about Bryson and DJ, is that if a guy like me, plus two handicap, drives it right down the middle of the fairway all stinking day long, two days in a row, and shoots 70 and 70, and I'm not a, ref, I'm not a refined iron player. I'm not, I would certainly say six, five, and four iron. I'm not even in the jurisdiction of a tour player in proximity to the hole. But when you don't have that many, you hit a ton of greens. And if I get hot, yeah, I make maybe five birdies. Yeah. But there are plenty of days I shoot 70, and I don't really have any bogeys. I only make one birdie. I just I don't get myself in any trouble, yeah. and I don't make anything. So you shoot 70. The difference is that you can't play the game now if you don't drive it far, but you can't win if you can't putt. Rory McIlroy. And, and that's the thing that what we're seeing. Jordan Spieth's not a factor because he can't drive the golf ball. Roy McIlroy's not winning because he can't putt it. Yeah. That's the difference. So when you see these guys fall off the radar screen, almost always they fall off the radar screen because they can't drive it anymore. Carl Peterson, there's a guy who's won a couple times. Where'd he go? Couldn't drive it. You know, you got, you know, Brian Gay is a perfect example. He's almost gained 30 yards off the tee this year. But he didn't, he didn't hear his name all year long, and then, boop, wins in Bermuda. Perfect golf course. And it takes a while for a guy who's only ever hit a 260 to get used to hitting a 300. Yeah. You know, and he's, I think that he's, it was playing tricks with him a little bit in his head. And now he's, he's won again. I mean, Brian Gay, 40, whatever, 47 years old, 46 years old. Yeah. And he's 
just won again. And what all these guys are doing, they're just trying to swing as fast as they possibly can to keep up. Yeah. And that's where the that's where the numbers and the data comes into play, you know, and you know way more about that than I do, but that's all they're really trying to to m- manipulate and manage. Yes. Because they, their swings are pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. It's can I swing it a, a one mile an hour faster or can I do this a little bit harder and will I get the same result? Mm-hmm. And how much does that impact where the golf ball goes? Because as much as you can figure on it going straight, if you got it going sideways, it's going to go that much further sideways. That's right. You know, and that's where you see guys, like you said, that are now that they're hitting the ball farther, if they're hitting it offline, they're just in more trouble. Oh, yeah. You know, and, and that's what happened with Bryson. He just got in himself in so much trouble, he couldn't manufacture enough good holes in a row. Mm-hmm. And, and But the scary part is, is if he does put it together on that golf course, you know, it's what Tiger did in 97, basically, and they freaked out. You know, yeah. it's like, this guy's going to win every year because yeah. he's in spots we just never thought people would be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wonder what the difference in yardage from then, say, to now is on that course. It's 69.05 and 73.95. So, so 400, 400 yards. 490 yards. And I don't know how much more they can actually do to it, but, I mean, you know, they, they just didn't have any trouble this year. Mm-hmm. And 20 under was probably, I mean, yeah, it's a weird year, and, you know, that 18 under was there for a while, but that was – that was bound to happen. It's just not a golf course they're having trouble if they can hit it like they're doing yeah. and stop it. That's right. You know, because um, the the ball was just not rolling anywhere. Mm-mm. You know, just didn't have any trouble. And even, I mean, I, I, I know that it's picked up over the week and it dried out, and so you saw balls rolling back in the water. Or if they left it short, you saw those things start to happen. But the with the ryegrass being sticky and with the Bermuda being a little bit thicker, mm. they weren't having as big a worry yeah. about getting around the greens and 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 or missing a shot yeah and it going too far but it you know it's still it's still prevalent down there without a doubt you know just one of those things yep i mean that I, I don't know we'll see i mean uh maybe bryson will put it together and dominate it but i got a feeling it's gonna i mean i just i keep saying it but i mean i think McElroy paid a real close attention to what dj did and DJ had the I mean, How many times has DJ finished in the top ten there? A lot. Yeah. Well, then Roy got himself out of position the first day and had to battle back, and he dang he's put a put a charge together. Yeah. For the last three days. I mean, at the end of the day, it's you know it's interesting because he loses by nine, right? So if you take nine off of seventy five, he would have had to shoot sixty six to tie sixty five yeah. to win. That's a steep ask. You know, if you think about it, he played three really awesome rounds. And I would say the thing that would stick out is he had three really good rounds and the one bad one. The difference in the tournament was, in my opinion, DJ's bad one was a 70 and Rory's bad one was a 75. Yeah. So it's still, you know, at the end of the day, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at a guy whose bad is mitigated because he's putting better than Rory. Yeah. You know, they're, they kind of had the same kind of loose round. Roy's was the first one. DJ's was the second round. But DJ just held it together. But, I mean, those two guys drive it. I mean, McElroy drove it unbelievably good, especially the last three days. I don't think he drove it that bad as his approach shots killed him on the first day. But they drove it so good. I mean, they literally, McElroy drove it on Sunday like DJ drove it on Saturday. He missed one fairway. 
and it was like three thirty six the whole day. Yeah, just right down the middle. So at the end, that's that's what it comes down to. I think that JT and Rory and DJ and Kepka and Rom are and DeChambeau to some regard. Those six guys are the guys we talk about for a long time. I mean, I think Colin Morikawa is a good player, but I think that, and he's fifty five behind the the long guys. It takes a unique golf course to be able to give up fifty five yards. Yeah, for four straight days, and that's what we saw at Harding Park. It worked out great for Colin Morikawa. They didn't have to hit driver as much, so they everybody was kind of hitting the certain spots. Yeah, not every hole, but there were certain holes that they just had to bunt it out there. Three wood, five wood, driving iron. You know, Augusta National, it's making you pull the driver. So it's testing every club, but that's the thing. But at the end of the day, there's a lot. Of, I mean, Matt Wolf, I'm interested to see where he's going to go. Sometimes it looks like he's an elite, elite player, and sometimes it looks like he's a good player. Yeah. He looked like a good player this past week. Missed the cut, wasn't really a factor. Colin Morikawa wasn't really a factor, but he did make the cut. Victor Hovland, another really good young player, bombs it too. Non-factor. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But but if you love golf, there are some players right now that it's so deep full of really good players. Yeah, I I, I think it's as deep as it's ever been and that I've watched it. I oh, mean, yeah. especially good players. And, 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 you know, add in the fact that Tiger can play well. You, you kind of throw him in a, a mix of about ten people yep. that you're just excited to watch. I mean, you know, and then Bubba jumps up there every once in a while or or whatnot. But you uh, you meant you know the the five or six guys you mentioned are there every week mm-hmm. in some form or fashion. Yep. And and they're just dominant. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, they hit the ball ex- extremely well. If they're on, I mean, JT, golly, that guy, he seems like he just can't miss. His iron play and wedge play is so spectacular. Yeah. And he uh, he doesn't putt great all the time, but he's one of those players that when he gets going, it's different. Like when McElroy gets going, you still think that he's he's not going to make every putt. Right. When JD gets, JT gets going, you're like, gosh, this guy we're going to miss. Yeah. He just pours him in one after the other after the other. Kind of like that first day. He got like He birdied his first three holes and four of his first five. And he made like – more putts from outside of 30 feet than I'll make all year, and he made it in an hour. <laughs> I know. It is. <laughs> That's what separates them, man. They they make putts, and golly, it's just, you know, it, it's amazing to see. It's amazing to see them, uh, you know, not win every week the way they're playing sometimes. No kidding. And you think about it. That's what you look at. You look at John Rahm, like, how does this guy ever lose? Yeah. And then you watch him beside DJ, and you're like, oh, because he has to play that guy. Yeah. Why doesn't DJ win every week? And you look over there, and there's Rory. And you're like, well, because he's got to play against that guy. Yeah. And you walk over and watch Rory. And you're like, well, why does he win every? And then you watch JT, and you're like, because he's got to play that guy. There's that many awesome players. Yeah. Like that's the difference. I mean, at the end of the day, when you look at at Tiger's dominance, he had to play Ernie, Phil, VJ, and David Duvall, the, and Retief Goosen. Those are the guys that over his 11 year run of massive dominance. He had to take down those guys. I think total package game, I think that David Duvall gave him the most fits. Ernie Els was very consistent and was always in the mix. Mickelson always seemed like it was his real rival, but the person that really gave him the most problem in the, in time was Retief Goosen and Vijay Singh for one year. Yeah. 
There's one year in which VJ won nine times. That Tiger was still Tiger. And when he overtook him, there's only been two people that overtook Tiger to be number one. And that was Duvall and, uh, and VJ. Yeah. So, I mean, Ernie had a little run, but that was when Tiger was down. And um, Retief when Tiger was down. But nobody, only Duvall and uh, VJ overtook Tiger in his prime yeah. at number one. And I think that deserves a lot of credit from those two guys. One I like a lot more than the other. Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you think that um, it was more that they felt like they just couldn't beat him versus the guys these days think they can, they can hang with each other? Mm-hmm. Like on a given day, I can beat him. I know I've got to, you know, but they don't have the mindset that I think that those guys when they were coming, you know, Ernie and those mm-hmm. that when they were playing Tiger, a lot of times maybe after the first round they're like, it's over. is this over? Yeah. You know, I mean, and that I just think that's a different mentality than I agree. these days. I agree. I think that I've done a lot of talking with uh, who I think is the godfather of golf uh, interviewing, and that's Peter Kessler. And Peter says, um, every 40 years we get a generational golfer. So he said that Bobby Jones, that's the 20s, Nicholas in the 60s, and Tiger in the 2000s. So we're looking at 2040 as that next generational player. And every 10 years, we have people that bridge the gap between the generational yeah. players. So for you got Bobby Jones, and then there's like this Walter Hagen, Byron Nelson, Ben Hogan, Sam Snead. And then Nicholas comes along. And then there's Arnold Palmer just before Nicholas. But even though Arnold Palmer was the king, yeah, Nicholas was the guy who transformed the game. Right. And then he had to deal with Palmer and Trevino, Watson, Player. And in between Nicholas's and Nicholas's dominance to Tiger, there is, you know, there's that Gary Player, Tom Watson, Greg Norman, Nick Faldo, you know. You know, then there's a couple other guys that you, I don't know if I could put Payne Stewart in that group or Tom Kite in that group, but the the great players that were – and Seve. Seve. Seve, Greg yeah. Norman, Tom Watson – were the, the major players, and there was a little bit of time where there was Fred Couples and whatever. And then Tiger comes along at the end of Greg Norman, so to speak. Sure. And then Tiger, he was so much better than everybody else. Now, they all tried to raise their game, and some did and some didn't. Mickelson did. VJ did. Ern- David Duvall got injured. Retief that didn't pan out. And... That's the thing. So, like, then at the end of it, then you got Rory had a run with Tiger, but still kind of post-Tiger dominance. Because yeah. I think Tiger's dominance ended in 09, and McElroy didn't really hit the scene to 11. You know, so he didn't have to deal with it. No, he's back. But the, we're bridging this gap. Who is the next? I don't think we've seen the next. And I like Peter's, like, forty every 40 years. So right now the people that are kind of <laughs> bridging the gap between Tiger and the next generational player is – Rory, DJ, JT, John Rahm, Bryson DeChambeau, all of these great players. And then for every, you know, you know, Ricky Fowler is kind of like a Payne Stewart, you know? Yep. Except Payne Stewart's got three majors and Ricky's got none. But, I mean. I just don't know if he can beat them guys. I just don't, I don't think I want to see him win. But he's just. I'd pull for him hard, but I just don't. He's just too inconsistent. Yeah. He's always good for a triple bogey somewhere. Yeah. But I, I think that that's, I think that's when we'll see the next great player is in the. To 2035 to yeah. 2040, depending on where you draw the line where Tiger is officially Tiger. Yeah. Some say 97, some say 2000, but 
either way, 2037 or 2040 is when we should see the next player that's just so much better than everybody else that we can't understand it. It'd be interesting to see where golf's at at that time. Yeah, I don't know. Will we be bifurcated? Will there be a tour, tour clubs, or will everybody just still be playing and there's people hitting at 500 yards? Who knows? That's the thing. What do we? What? Where do we want the game to be? Because, do you know, basketball, you know, it was in 1940s. Nobody's dunking. Now there's there was only two shots in the NBA. There's a three point shot and the dunk. Yeah. That's it. So I mean, is no to some people that's super exciting. Like I sat in here and interviewed Drew Maddox, and he thinks that this three shooting and the offensive schemes of spreading people out makes the basketball so much funner to watch. And then you, you watch today's game, and then you watch a, like an NBA Finals in 1983 between the Sixers and the Lakers or the Celtics and the Lakers, and you're like, that's way better basketball than what we're watching today. Ball movement, better defense. Yeah. You know, It looked like we're playing team ball in basketball today. It's like LeBron brings it down. He chooses to drive or not drive. If he drives and you don't stop him, dunk. If you drive and three people claps on him, dishes it to Anthony Davis, dunk, or kicks it out to the side and somebody makes a three. Yeah. And it, it's like rinse and repeat. There's no, you know, who shoots from 15 feet? Only people that are about ready to go on the bench. Yeah. You know, so that's the thing. <laughs> that, that game is riddled with the game has evolved. The players are so fast and so dominant and can jump through the sky. That the game is played above the rim and from 25 feet. There is no such thing. Why would you shoot from 15 feet? You shoot from one or 23. Yeah. Period. And, you know, do we want golf to be driver and wedge? Or it's, oh, and that's it? Driver, wedge, putter? Or do we want to make it so that you have to hit all the clubs in the bag? Some, I, I still don't think that there's anything wrong. If we made every tour player play blades, no cavity. Straight blade, 325 cc head, maximum loft on any club is 58 degrees. Now go figure it out. I think that really changes the game. Well, you'd bring the, you'd bring a lot of the skill, or you you would force them to have a lot more skill than they do now of overpowering. Yeah. You know, Mike Tyson beat the dust off of you because he could punch harder, and you know he just tried to knock you out. Mm -hmm. You know, when that got figured out became more of a challenge for him. Oh, yeah. It was less about skill. Now, he had a lot of great skill. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, it's – I think you're right. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I would I would love to get in a – be an interesting conversation to get with, like, a golf course architect or somebody who sees the game where it's going and can wrap their mind around what mm -hmm. overall. Because, you know, we live in a world where, you know, we're, we're, in, we're involved in golf in a lot of different ways. Oh, yeah. Tour the tour players as unique individual. Yep. It's almost like we need to build courses for them and them only, and they have their own separate rules. Yep. But that's not that's not fun. We we want to play those golf courses. We want to we want to do the things that they do. Yeah. So it's it's kind of it's it's kind of a two way street in my opinion. I'd be interested to see where where all that does go in yeah. twenty or thirty years. It's going to be interesting, you know, because I, I you know they're not they can't make Augusta National nine thousand yards. They can't make. They're out of land. They're out of land at Pebble Beach. They're out of land at St. Andrews. Yeah. They're out of, so what, are we going to take away all the great parks to play in? I don't know. But at the end of the day, one thing that will remain the same, and we just can't guarantee it because it has a lot to do with Mother Nature, the, right before the pandemic hit, we had those three events in Florida. The wind blew hard. 
Of course, we're firm and fast. <coughs> Everybody won with single digit under par. Yeah. And nobody was clamoring about how long the ball was flying because you make the wind blow and you get the greens firm and fast with wind blowing hard. Man, that changes the game so much. Yeah, it's a lot. You, but you can't – that's one thing we can't prepare for. And so, like, my, my point to the – the pundits who want to bring the ball back and make it things slower. It's like, okay, so we're cruising along now. Our normal round of golf, our normal tournament, is now 10 under par wins, 12 under par wins. But now if you catch that Bay Hill that we had this year, where I think 7 under 1 or 8 under 1, now it's plus 5. Yeah, Is that what we want? You know, like therein lies that you can't, you can't please everybody. And I, th I still say that the game is more exciting to watch with guys bombing it. But DeChambeau is holding a lot of headspace right now because long prior to Bryson is Rory and DJ, full splinter 330. DeChambeau's hitting three wood past that. That's really hard. Yeah. For like John Rahm. But how long can he do it? I mean, how long can your body hold up? That's the real question and what we're finding out. He's training differently than anybody's ever trained that's playing in golf. So this guy, Greg Roscoff, who in invented this MAT muscle activation technique training, he says that it this is the key, that nobody's – now, what's he supposed to say? He's the guy who invented it. So yeah, he's for sure. He's selling the fountain of youth, right? Right. But we'll see. I think that what we're going to start to see is – we're going to see professional golfers turn into professional athlete careers 11 years. The greats play 11 to 15 years. Yeah, I mean, I don't see how they can't. Because, like, you've got these college kids coming out, 22 years old, full smoke, 350. And you got Sneds back there, who's 40, hits at 292. And Sneds is like, okay, four straight days, these guys hit at 60 yards by me. I have to have the greatest putting week ever. And I have to hit my iron shots bizarrely better than average to win. How well does a player like Snedeker, Brian Gay, Ben Crane, these shorter great putters, how, how long do you call your work satisfying when every time you tee it up you know you can't win? It just becomes a job at that point. That, and therein lies the question of four like how long or what's a career for the PGA Tour players now? Yeah. Do you think for a single second, as soon as Tiger has no chance of competing to win, that he's going to play? No chance. No. Mickelson's starting to show the signs that he can't do it on the PGA Tour anymore. It must be the length of the golf courses that they're playing because he's two for two on the Champions Tour and winning quite easily. Yeah. And on the PGA Tour – not so much. So it's, it has to be the distance. But you get, you know, he's 50, and he's hitting it 310, and he's 30 behind the normal big dogs and, like, 100 behind Bryson. Yeah. That's really hard. So that's, that's to me, I'm, I'm very interested in a lot of what's going on because we're in uncharted territory. Yeah. Like, we're going to start to see careers get shorter and shorter and shorter, and the windows to win major championships get shorter and shorter. 
because the college kids that are coming out now have as much seasoning as in the in the late 80s into early 2000s a seven-year veteran on the PGA Tour. There's just that much better training. There's so much more information about what it takes to be great, both mentally and physically, on top of course management and everything. We're in a really big sweet spot because there's so many things to take into consideration when you start criticizing the game. Up until 2000, we didn't have athletes playing golf. We got freaking athletes playing golf now, man. Yeah. Beasts. You got never we've never had this much information about what the brain needs to do to perform optimally. We've never understood what the golf swing is actually doing until like really 12. And I'm not saying that we know everything now, but we know a hundred times more about what the body's doing than we did in 1985. I mean, I like, I was, I did an interview yesterday and the, I was asked a question about how much has technology changed teaching? And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I would love to hear what I was saying about the golf swing <laughs> prior to, I, I taught golf before video. And then I got a really nice camera in 2000, slow-mo, and it had a little screen that you flipped out, and you could scroll it yep. at 4,000 frames per second. I think it was a, an Optima camera. I think it's what it is. So that changed the game for me because I could show them their swing, and, su- and the club face was very clear when you were watching it swing. That changed it. Then TrackMan comes along, and then TrackMan really changed the game. But the, the, the biomechanist and the scientists who are measuring ground forces and torques on the shaft, and all, those are things we've never known about. And a lot of people's golf games have been ruined because they tried to use still pictures that Golf Digest would do in swing sequences, and it would look like these tour players would shift their weight forward, then turn, when in all actuality, that's what the earth makes the body look like when it puts the force into the ground with rotation. Yeah. So you don't actually transfer your weight then turn. You're actually turning into the ground, and the energy of you turning into the ground propels you forward. Most people didn't like, what? <laughs> so I gave a lesson yesterday to a really good player who had been taught to make a great backswing, and it was a great backswing, but he pushed his weight forward, slide, and then turned, and he got hook and block. Well, Tiger, Jason Day... Mickelson, all these guys were taught wrong, but it was what they were taught was the best that we knew at the time. Yeah, and that's why you get all these lower back injuries. That's why my backs hurt. Is that I was taught to push off my trail leg into my front leg in a like a straight line, no rotation, just like a big push. Club falls to the inside, then you turn. Well, that's what it looked like we did, and that's not what's going on. That's what freaks people out. So I mean, now we got. More knowledge of the brain, and everything starts in the brain. We have more knowledge about physical strength and what it takes to stay healthy, maximum speed, optimum performance, and we have more understanding of how to get people better than ever technically. Yeah. So you have better technique, better bodies with better minds. Golf's flipped upside down because we're dealing with the, the information age, and they're just crunching data and spitting it out and just crushing golf because it's – it's really just a position game. You hit it from point A to point B. And the better you get at being able to predict how far it's going to fly, how high it's going to fly, what direction it's going to curve, you can tear apart a golf course pretty quick. Yeah. So that's what we're, that's what we're seeing is the, 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 the combination or the melding of radical technologies with radical athletes. 
we're getting radical scores and radical outcomes. Yeah. And it's not going to change. No, I think that's a good point. I mean, it's it's a different it's a different world. It's a different game, and and you know things have evolved and changed so much that, uh, like you said, that it comes down to these guys are true athletes. So I mean, they've all been in some way or another, but I mean, it's really different now. Oh yeah. And, and another thing that most people don't even realize is the difference between the turf quality in 1970, when Jack Nichols is in his prime, and what they're putting on and well, that technology's definitely changed too. Yeah. So I mean, that's the thing is like. Another piece to the puzzle yeah. is if you watch Putting closely, greens are so much better. Oh, my God. Can you, I mean, literally, you watch what Arnold Palmer putted on, yeah, and it's still black and white, but you can still see the shag of Augusta National yeah. Greens from 61, 2, 3, 4, and 5. It's not even fair to compare. So you factor in better talent with better information, with better technology, with better putting surfaces, better playing surfaces. There isn't one thing that's comparable to eras no so that's why i'm trying to get people to stop trying to compare but i just would really like to see more skill and i'll just go back to the reason why i want to see more skill is because i'm not even close to as good of an athlete as i was when i was 25 i drive the golf ball so much better now than i did at 25 it is literally stupid and the actual reason is nothing more than the technology has made it so that the ball just doesn't curve between the driver head forgiveness and the ball spin there is nothing that is there's nothing about driving the golf ball today that's more difficult than it was when i was growing up in the and as a teenager and in college and i would be elated if i hit seven fairways when i was in college yeah as far as i hit it now that's a really bad driving day for me so i mean if you make the ball the miss hits from a toe hit off of a big Bertha or the tail of a tour burner, that little head, get that off the toe, baby. It only took a little bit to be off the toe. Yeah. Literally, my Maverick driver, the sweet spot of that is bigger than the big Bertha head. That's that's just a world of, I mean, it's just all the difference in the world. Man, just like he's got these guys standing up there full bore, four feet of motion, 335 ball doesn't curve yeah that's technology and thunderous athleticism but if if the head was 25 percent smaller and that healer that goes 310 with a little cut down the middle of the fairway now for rory is now a kind of a creamy whiff slice that goes 278 now they can't go at it as hard yeah that's the thing that i'm asking if the if dechambeau goes at it as hard with a 325 cc head and he hits it 410 yards, I will tip my cap to that guy. That's freaking awesome. Yeah. But when you have these the, the driver heads that we have today, they're going to be able to take advantage of it. Yeah. Because I know that I am, and I'm not nearly as good as they are. But it's hilarious that when I, when I think back, I could beat my 25-year-old self pretty handily right now, and it's unbelievable that I could. For how good I hit the golf ball then. Yeah. But it's just the ball and the club spun so much more that a miss hit was so much more severe than it is today. Yeah. That's the big difference. It's not that my great's any greater. It's just my bad is, like, infinitely better. And it's mostly equipment. Some of it's technical. I mean, my swing getting slightly better. Yeah. I mean, my club head speed is laughably slow compared to what it was 
when I was 25. Well, we're not 25 anymore. That's what. That's, that's, that's the. That's the bad news. Today. I know. My head says I am. Yeah. I, my I back. Think, my back says I'm 50. Yeah. Go put a basketball or football in your hand and see how old you feel at that time. I mean, oh, it's yeah. one thing to swing a golf club and feel like, oh, I don't know if I can do this for 18 holes, but you know. Yeah. No it's doubt. different to try to run up down the court for a few minutes. Yep. <laughs> no it's like, nope, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let's wrap it up. But, uh, you know, I wanted to get a, your couple other thoughts. Uh, what did you think about it being in November and and it being probably the only time we'll ever see it that way? Did, did it come off like you thought? I wish there would have been patrons there. And, uh, yes, you know, I, I, I was kind of bummed that they didn't sort of buck the system and allow some people in. But I get it. You know, that's crazy times. Yeah. You know, you have to understand something. Augusta National is the members are full of the most influential people in the country. Yeah. So in a time like this, they needed to play it close to the vest because not only are their members the most influential people in the country business wise. Yeah. Augusta National, I think, is the most powerful entity in all of golf. I think they call more shots than the USGA and the RNA combined. Yeah, I could see that. That's my opinion. Yeah. Uh, so they have to be a leader. So they led like leaders should. We don't need to thumb our nose at COVID and the what we think or might not think. Let's tow the company line here. If we show that we care about people's safety and health and we don't have the answers to this COVID thing. So we're not going to risk somebody's life for this event. Right. Or thousands of people's lives. There's going to be 25,000 people there. Yep. That's being socially responsible. And I think that that's, that's, what, a good that's, point. that's their calling yeah. on that. Yep. And that's why they did it. I think for sure this part of the country is more on the conservative side of, you know, let's just live our lives. If we get it, we deal with it. We quarantine. We do our diligence yeah. there. And there are some people that don't think that that's the smartest thing to do. And with the with there being no cure yet. Well, it's not going away. It's not going We're away. We're going to have to live with it. Yeah. Learn to live with it. Yeah. That's why I say, like, what are we, as soon as they start to say that there's no, like, the antibodies wear off after, like, four months or whatever. Well, then there's no, are we going to shut down for the rest of our life? No. No. We shouldn't. But because when we, we have vaccines for the flu and people still get the flu, we're going to yeah, have vaccines only, for this. Because there's 22 different flus, and the the flu shot is what they're predicting to be the worst of the bunch. Yeah. So there's only one, one, one 22nd. Right. You know, 5%, just look, look 4%. Of, right. Of the uh, 4.5% of the flu is going to be mitigated by the vaccine. And, it, and in some ways, they also predict that they hope that at least some of the antibodies that you have for fighting off that one flu strain helps you with the others. Right. But there's no guarantee. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. I think it's going to be interesting. But I think that the Augusta National did what a lot of people should be trying to think about doing, which is leading by example if you want to be a leader. Yeah. Don't lead out of arrogance or, you know, f- you know, f- flip the bird at the world, so to speak. Yeah. Do the right thing. And that's what the Augusta National did. And I think that's a. I think it's one a great point, and two, I, I believe, you know, that was the right thing to to the great. It was a great message to send, mm-hmm. and um, you know, uh, 
it would have been a bummer to not have that tournament, and they did what they needed to do to make it happen. Yeah, I thought uh, there's a couple of things. I think no, I think it's good to see change. Yeah, and to know that you can make it through change. Yeah. So to know that Augusta National to cancel it in April, no real understanding what we were going to do, and then right, I guess in July, they said it was going to be last week. Well, everybody has to face change. Occasionally, yeah. we don't get a chance to do what we want to do when we want to do it, and has to go in a different time frame. Well, I think in some ways that's good for people to see struggle and to move past a difficult time. And although it's not the same and there weren't patrons there and it wasn't at normal time of the year, the number one player in the world won. Yep. And he put on a hell of a show. Yep. Well, it deserves a lot of credit. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, uh, I don't know if it would have turned out any different if it would have been in April. Yeah, that's what we're get. and then we'll, we're going to get a real good test because yep. and the other beautiful thing is there's never been a time we get two consecutive Masters, but we do now. I know that's pretty pretty special in itself. If you think about it, it's only what five months away, mm -hmm. you know. And, and I I gotta I gotta think that DJ would be right there again. Has to be. Yeah. Has to be. Yep. Whether he wins or not, I think that that's what we're that's what we talked about all this whole time. Yep. He's going to be there. Yep. Does he win again? Who knows? Putts might not fall in that week. Might get a bad break like John Rom did or Rory did yeah. or JT did. And depending on how he handles that bad break, you know, I think that those guys broke because they were already behind the eight ball because DJ had played so good. Yeah. That the JT's bad stretch, was, there was already so much pressure on him to be perfect because yeah. he was trailing by so much. If the, if the roles get flipped and it's JT that goes out early on Thursday and shoots a 65. Yeah. And then – Dustin Johnson hits a hits a tee shot on five and doesn't cut and it goes down there in that bunker and makes a seven. Well, now he's behind the eight ball and does he does he just stay calm or does he like God? Now I'm ten back after one day and I'm only through my fifth hole. Yeah. Does that alter how he would go about it? Probably. Yeah. Does he need to do it that early? No. But I guarantee you, Rory stressed. I know that he stressed. He even talked about it. JT stressed, John Rom stressed, and Bryson DeChambeau stressed their games because DJ put him in a spot where now only perfection could catch him. Yeah. And that's what Tiger did for 10 years. He made you feel like if you weren't perfect, you couldn't win. And DJ put you in that spot this yeah. time. I mean, when people are saying he's got a four-shot lead and he's going to get to 20 under and you're sitting there going, you mean I got to shoot? I mean, i am already got to shoot. I got to think about 64, 63. Yeah. I mean, that puts you in, that puts a lot of stress on your game. Yeah. I mean, to think that, you know, Rory would have had to shoot 61 to win, 62 to tie. Yeah. And he played really, really good the last three rounds 66, yeah. 67, 68. Thanks for coming out. Yep. Lost by more than a touchdown. Here's your, here's your, uh, participation trophy <laughs> thanks right. for playing yeah, that's right you know they said dj had two of the lowest rounds of, uh, two out of his four rounds were the lowest you know tied for the lowest rounds of the week it's hard two, to beat two bogey free 65s yeah i mean you know one was a little bit more pr profound than the other but because saturday's round was like pr like watching a clinic yeah the first round was very very good but it was not as radically precise as saturday yeah saturday was like sure hello Yep. You know what's going to be cool, too, is we're going to see the same golf course. Outside of the, the obvious changes, weather, 
maybe the turf conditions and quality there's no they they don't have all the things they did to the golf course to get it ready are going to be the same be the same hopefully you know? this time we got you know bleachers yeah and there might be some fans out there but that's about it um but you know so you know those guys are going to not really really fooled by anything yeah. i do think it's going to play just from a turf condition standpoint it's probably going to take they they're going to do some things to make it a little, a little you know you know can't do anything about the weather obviously if it yeah. rains and softens the golf course up then 20 unders and play again but we'll see that's what we're going to find out i know that the ryegrass is going to be a lot more predominant and it's going to make the lies and the in the the situation's a little different yeah especially around the greens yeah gets a little different yeah shave them down a little bit you know more mm -hmm. so well before i let you go what else is what else is you got uh coming up anything you got exciting going on how's the book and all and so um, we're we're turning our book into a podcast. So we're halfway done yeah. recording the podcast yeah. of Elevated. Our second book is gonna. We're in the process of getting it ready. Yeah. So you know, we have a similar similar breakdown of how it's going to be written. It'll have a yeah. similar title, and uh, we're just going to keep going with it. I think that one of the things that we learned was that we were Drew and I were very blessed to see how much of an impact our book was making on people's lives. Right. And although I think everybody writes a book to do that, I don't think we really expected it to be the best-selling book for five weeks. That was kind of like a, a humbling experience. But what really killed us is the fact that COVID took away the public speaking. And that public speaking tour that we were going to go on was was pretty big. And yeah. to have it like it squished like a cock, cockroach. Yeah. We know it's out there now. So now we get another book out. We put it together, and it goes along with Elevated. Well, now we have two things to sell and instead of one. So now it just makes us more diverse. It makes us ability to just mix and match our message to the company's mission statement or the charitable you know, organization's mission statement so we can use our the, the terminology and how we want to go about sending our message out. We can meld it to what people want. Yeah. Um, my other podcast, which is on the verge, has uh, been a blessing for me because, it, to me, much like I'm sure you're experiencing with this podcast, is that I do it not to make money on it, so to speak. It's because I get a chance to interview some really cool people every That's week. Absolutely, the best thing about it. And I learn. I mean, I've learned so much about perseverance, what it takes to be great, uh, just by. Because everybody has something to give, man. Everybody's yep. got a gift. So my job is to celebrate. In some ways, I think I'm on like my 77th episode over two years. So that, I mean, obviously there's, I've got Eddie George and I've gotten, you know, Carrie Collins. and I'm, But I've also interviewed lawyers that nobody would know. You know. But there are a lot of lawyers out there that are struggling to make it in the game. Yep. And this guy, I've had two lawyers come on. And tell their unique story of how they kind of broke away from the the big box. And, like, to understand that, you know, lawyers and risk don't go hand in hand. Yep. Lawyers don't take risks. Yep. And the ones that I've interviewed are people that took business risk to take their – to leave a big firm to do their own deal. Yeah. And I think more people need to – 
hear stories of triumph while taking a, a flyer, so to speak, going out on a, on a limb. Because I just listened to a new, uh, a, a new song from ACDC. Their new album just came out. It's, and it, it's stock line is a shot in the dark is better than a walk in the park. And I kind of like that thought of, first of all, I don't have a media degree. You don't have a media degree. So I'm not sitting here trying to say that I am a professional right. interviewer. But I love it. I'm sure you love it. I'm passionate about getting the story out of somebody's mouth. Yeah. And I love it. So I, even though I, I might not be Joe Rogan, and I, he's kind of like my favorite guy to, to base myself off of. Yep. Peter Kessler is the guy I base my, my radio and my TV stuff off of. Podcast, I love the way Joe Rogan, he does it the way he wants to do it. Yep. He asks the questions that he thinks are cool, not what you think are cool or what I think are cool. He's what, I'm Joe Rogan, and I'm going to ask you what Joe Rogan wants to know. Yeah. So I took that. I was like, I ask questions that I want to know, but I also think that a lot of people want to know them too. Sure. And so the podcast world is really cool. My book stuff is great. And then the teaching you know, I'm headed into a time where I'm, I have hopes because golf instruction is on fire right now because golf's the only thing people can do. So many people have taken to the game, and probably more athletes have taken to the game that they never thought that they would love the game like they do. Right. And there's a, I have taught more new clients this year than I have since probably 98. I, mean, I have so many new clients. It's, it befuddles me. Like, I'm, there were times in my super busy years when I was working with the tour players that if I had 15 new people in one year, that was an unbelievable year. Man, it's only, what it was, this is the 16th of November, 17th of November? Yeah. I've already got 15 this month, people that I've never taught before. Well, that, I mean. So the real question is, here we are at the Ensworth Golf Center. It's 70 and sunny every day here I have the potential to stay busy year round yeah will it stay open will the government shut us down will will we be forced will I be forced to stop teaching indoor at a time in which I have to teach indoor yeah like that's a scary proposition for me and I know that it's scary for a lot of people out there sure. because there won't be virtual teaching at Harpeth Valley January 19th no. it's going to be it's not doable so there's the question. I'm set up to have possibly the greatest year teaching that I've ever had, business-wise, lessons taught-wise, but it could get shut down like nothing, like boom, done, it's over. Yeah. Because the government feels like it's necessary to shut us down to control the, the, the coronavirus. So that's the thing that I'm most scared about, but I'm prepared, if we can make it through it, to probably have the greatest year I've had, especially with new clients and all this technology that we have here makes it as close to being able to do awesome playing lessons as it would be if I was on the actual golf course right. with you. And we can measure everything here except a bunker shot. And that's what people want to know. They want to play the best golf. They want to be able to have the answers to their questions. Right. And that's what we try to do here is what I try to do with what I teach, which is you come in here to get answers and you will not walk out without one yeah that's my goal 
Well, I certainly think that's a good summarization. I, I, you know, covered a lot there. And I would say that, you know, the podcast world has really been something that's been very unique in that way um, of being able to talk to people, especially in this interesting time. It's really been fun or interesting to talk to people about their changes, their moods, their actions. What are they doing? You know, how are their, how is their situation relating to, you know, the rest of the world and, and podcasts offer you, it's, it's one thing to be an interviewer and and you've got your one or two seconds. uh, You got your one question or two questions that you want to try to get out and that's it. But in this format, you know, we can sit down and have a long form conversation Mm -hmm. and dive deep into some things and whether it's about a variety of topics, whether we're talking about the masters or we're talking about, you know, life in general, you know, you can dive a little bit deeper and, and, and it doesn't, and people gravitate towards that. It's something people want and they need. And it, for me, it's been a, a therapeutic, a lot of ways. It's been an eye opening thing to sit and talk to, you know, individuals in my area of my world and, and even outside of that. And, and, and I know you're getting that too. Like mm-hmm. you said, I'm no professional at this. I'm not, I'm, I mean, I'm a, a novice at best, but I study people like Joe Rogan mm-hmm. and, and other podcasts that I really enjoy listening to. And I think it's um, it's been something that's helped me along the way in Absolutely. terms of getting better at not only just talking to people, but just in general learning and knowledge and, you know, bringing – because I started this with not really for me outside of I thought there was something cool to do, but I wanted to tell people's story because I believe that everybody has a story Absolutely. to tell and that everybody that's listening to someone's story can say, you know, relate in some way or another. And I believe that to be wholeheartedly true. And most people that I ask or they come on the podcast that are like unsure about it, I'm like, look, it's as simple as having a conversation with you and I. Yeah. And you're going and you're going to find out very quickly that what you're you're not going to be put on the spot. You're just going to tell your story. Mm-hmm. And you're just going to talk about your life and your and the things that are normal and natural to you. And along the way, we're gonna dive into some of those things because that's what this allows us to do. Yeah, I think one of the things I like about it is because it's non-scripted. Yep. If you're listening to the podcast, and we're gonna, this is, we're probably into, we're a little bit more than an hour and a half right now, right? So you're driving somewhere, or you're doing a lot of things. I think it's better when you kind of bounce around topics and you come back around again to topics. Yeah. Because then you feel like you're actually just having a conversation that's completely uncensored. Because you almost feel like if, if everything just went sequential, that it was either heavily edited or it was put together. Yep. But when it's it's a conversation, and you know, like in this particular conversation, we we moved in and out of DJ like six times, right? With different ideas, and we melded it with McElroy DeChambeau, Tiger, you know, and then some historical talk, and then you move around and you, we finally put a bow on it, and we've covered a bunch of different topics from a bunch of different angles. But yet the outcome still stayed the same, which was DJ won in an impressive fashion. Yep. And we recounted all the possible ways that he broke all the records. And when we come right back down to it, we just take our hat off because he put on what hell of a show. And you get done listening to it, and your ride felt like two minutes instead of an hour and a half. Yep. But you got an hour and a half of information about something that you love. Probably a lot of insights that you didn't know. And something that's going to keep intrigue up and it'll give you things to talk about with other friends that you may not have known about. Yeah. And that's how what we're doing 
spreads outward. It's subtle. It's not like in your face. But the conversations that we have, they're like throwing a rock into the pond. The ripples go out. And even though they're not waves, the conversations spread. And it, that's, our, that's, that's how we help change the world. We're not changing everybody. Right. But if we impact one, then we, change the, we changed yep. things. And that's how I look at how I teach golf how I do my podcast, how I write my books, how I public speak. And I know that you're doing the same thing. You just want to pass on a message about somebody else's greatness that people don't know about to celebrate somebody who deserves to be celebrated. And when you do that, those blessings that you're passing on to others, they come back called paying it forward. It comes back to you tenfold. Yeah, yeah I believe that. And even if it doesn't happen immediately, I didn't do this to get you know, have it being paid forward. I do it for myself because I know that I'm going to learn so much that I didn't know yeah. from another person. And that's why we're here on this planet. Yep. We're here to communicate with others, coexist with others. And life's meant to be shared, not isolated. Yep. And I know that the world we live in today is getting less and less open and more and more secluded. Not, not forced like quarantine stuff, but like more and more people are more apt to go out on a date and sit at a table and stare at their phone instead of talk. Yeah. Kind of bizarre. It is. Um, it is the, It is what it is. And I would say that it certainly sounds like a judgment, but I'm more just accepting the fact that that's just that, that generation's way. But it's sad. Yeah. Because they're missing out on so much. But they may not be so sad. It's just part of the, what their life is. It's just it's, different. It's just different. Yeah. You know? And that's what we have to embrace difference. And this yep. time we're living in right now, if we don't start embracing difference and learn how to coexist within it, we're trending to Rome, baby. Yep. Well, no time is more uh, apropos than this to uh, adjust, to deviate, to make, you know, accept change. Um, you know, it's all parts of things that are uncomfortable, hard to do a lot of times. Yeah. People get set in their ways, but... Um, if you're not willing to do it, you're gonna. You're certainly gonna fall victim to uh, the people that are gonna tell you what to do or, <laughs> or try to uh, manipulate you in certain ways. And I just, I feel like as much as we can be normal in this time, uh, it's good to you know have the proper protocols, how do the do the things necessary, but at the same time, you know, adjust, do the things you necessary you need to, and uh, your your life will be much better for it. Absolutely, one hundred percent. You know, well, I can't thank you enough for letting me come on your show and yeah. shoot the breeze. Absolutely, man. I I, I do this. All, I have a lot of fun with these that we've done, and it's been a different. It's been a deviation from even what I do, mm-hmm. and I know that my audience loves it and participates. And we find a way to intertwine the turf oh, yeah. in there as well. And and um, I like to leave you. You share. I, I I follow you on social media, and you share a lot of words of wisdom and motivation. But what you said about. Uh, um, from ACDC was uh, was fitting, yeah, and was a shot in the dark is better than a walk in, in the, the park. park. I think that's a good way to end it. Yeah, absolutely. So, well, Till next it. time, my man. I appreciate it. it. Have a good one. Yeah.